Have you ever worked in retail? I firmly believe if you've never been a server in a restaurant or if you've never worked in a retail environment, you're missing some of the most important and challenging opportunities for growth that you could have in your entire life. It's because of that phrase you've likely heard, you've likely thought, you've likely said. It's a phrase that permeates kind of how we think about ourselves, how we think about money, how we think about stuff, how we think about relationships. It's a famous phrase that when I was working at a grocery store, I heard almost every day, usually used as a weapon. You know what it is? The customer is always right. Have you heard that phrase before? Have you used that phrase before? Here's the problem with the phrase, it ain't true. <laughs> like, it, it's, a, it's a bold-faced lie. Like, do you, do you know how I know this? A couple ways I know that this is a lie. First, I'm a customer, and I know without a shadow of a doubt I've been wrong. Like, I remember one time recently I walked into a Starbucks here in town. I'd ordered ahead using their app, which is awesome, by the way. I love kind of the order ahead process. I walked in and it wasn't ready. And I asked the person behind the counter, who I see all the time, actually, hey, when's it going to be ready? And they're like, we didn't get that order. And I'm like, okay. Like, I see how busy you are. I see that the drive-thru is wrapped around the store. Like, I understand you're busy. I get it. But come on. Then I looked to see if I ordered in my phone. Nope. Customer isn't always right. I also know that the customer isn't always right because I've been on the other side of the counter when they were obviously wrong. I used to work in a grocery store. One of the jobs that I had was working in the deli area, which has so many different aspects to it. There are deli meats and deli cheeses to cut, take-home salads to make. But one of my jobs at one point was to make a whole bunch of fried chicken. There are all sorts of different sizes of orders from somebody who wanted an eight-piece meal for dinner to 500, 1,000, 5,000-piece fried chicken orders. And that's a lot of fried chicken. And I remember working one Friday, and I was tired. I was at the end of my shift, and I was ready to go home. And a woman came up to the deli counter and asked if we had a fried chicken order ready, which happened all the time. And I asked for her name, went and looked, and there's no fried chicken order under that name. So I went and told her, hey, I don't think we have it. Like, let's talk this out. And I don't think that I'm exaggerating when I said we didn't have it, that she lost her mind. <laughs> like, she went ballistic. Turns out she was expecting a thousand pieces of chicken, which isn't something you can magically fry up in like a minute or two. So she started to yell at me. And she started to yell at my coworkers, the customer is always right, literally stomping her feet like this. The customer is always right. That's what she was doing. And I'm like, oh my goodness gracious, get me out of here. She made a phone call to her husband yelling in the phone about our incompetence. I kept trying to calm her down, which that's, you know, not a super fun thing to have to do. Finally, she stopped for a moment and I asked her for some more information and she gave me her full name. She had prepaid for her order, handed me the receipt. She wanted to talk to my manager. Her goal, she said this, was to get me fired. She was probably fun at the party she was going to. But the more information I got, the more certain I was that we didn't have this fried chicken order. So I went back. We had this big wall of orders. I looked, and I saw it, not for Friday, but for Saturday. So I I grabbed the order, and I grabbed her receipt, and I took it out to her, and I said, Hey, is this for Saturday? And she looked at me with such disdain, such disgust, such horror, and she says, Yes. I was like... It's Friday. (laughs) She finally realized her mistake. She turned on her heel, walked out, and said, it better be ready tomorrow. The customer is not always right. 
Now, maybe you've never been that bad about it. Maybe you have, and you're avoiding eye contact with the person that you're sitting with. Maybe you're like, was that me? Like, oh no, was that me that Adam interacted with? But my belief is I'm actually not that different than that woman in the grocery store. And no, her name was not Karen. It was not. But we truly are consumers, aren't we? In a consumer world, we're the customer. We're always right. We think that we're always right no matter what. And we think that the customer is always right. And the way we interact with relationships that we're always right. And the way that we interact with parenting that we're always right. And sports and school and church that we're always right. It's viewed through the same lens. And when we look at the world this way as a consumer, like we're always right no matter what. And you need to be nice to me. And you need to treat me this way. And no, 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 I can say whatever I want. Something happens in us. Everything becomes about me. What I want, what I need, what I think I need, what I have to do to get whatever I think I need. And this consumer mindset leads us into a pursuit of more. And that's a problem. A pursuit of more is empty because there's always more to pursue. There's another promotion to get. There's another feeling to run after. There's another dollar to make. There's another vacation to take. And then we get the job, or we feel the feeling, or we make the dollar, or we get back from vacation, and we end up feeling the same that we did before. Can you relate? See, we're so consumed with this pursuit of more that we forget that we already have what we need. Now, we're starting a series today that kind of speaks into the heart of this. This is what this series is all about. We're calling it Contributors in a Consumer World. And we struggle to be contributors in a consumer world, even though I honestly think many of us deeply, if we're being honest, we do want to contribute. We want to be a part of something. We want things to get better. We want to make a difference. We don't want to be selfish, but it's difficult to do this in a consumer world. And I believe if we follow Jesus, that something changes changes in us that pushes directly against this consumer me, 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 mine, 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 mine mentality. And it draws us into a contributor mentality. We believe this so much, we actually have it as a church value here at the Ridge. This is the value. We are contributors and not consumers. Here's what we mean by it. Because we're called to love others with all we are, we'll give all that we've got For the world. That's what this series is really all about. We're going to talk about what does it mean to be a contributor, not a consumer. Now, maybe you're thinking, I don't feel like I can contribute that much. Like, I'm barely scraping by. You don't know my situation. This is frustrating. This is annoying. But I I can't think about either one. I'm not a consumer. I'm not a contributor. I'm just trying to make ends meet. And I hear you. I get it. I understand the struggle. But I think we need to challenge each other a little bit on that thought because, by and large, most of us if not all of us, have a whole lot of what we need. And honestly, I'm saying this to myself too. Even though I sometimes forget it, I have more than what I need. I need to remember something right kind of at the start of this, that we need to start on the same page because I need to remember that this customer, me, well, I'm not always right. And that perhaps there's something else that I kind of need to acknowledge when we're talking about this. Here, Here it is. Here's what I think we need to kind of start with. I have everything I need, but I forget what I need it for. Let me prove it. Are you a numbers person? Some of us aren't. Some of us are. But what if I told you I was offering you a job for $30,000? 
That's the median income in Indiana, in case you didn't know, $30,000 as of 2019. For some of you, you're thrilled. Others, you took a pay cut. But are you rich? If I gave you $30,000 a year, are you rich? Well, it depends on who you ask, doesn't it? Because if you have a household income of $30,000, an entire household income, you make more money than 95% of the world. That's, more than, that's having more money than 7,290,300,000 people, give or take. See, we have everything we need for the most part, but we forget what we need it for. And no... We actually don't need it to be comfortable. We don't need to pay off our mortgage early. We don't need to update to the newest cell phone. Now, that's not because those are bad things. And that's not a new problem. This isn't just you. This isn't just me. And sometimes we act like it's just America, and it's not. This has actually been a problem. This consumer mentality, this me-centric mentality has been a problem for a long time. So much so that Jesus talked directly about this type of thing. So here's the story. Jesus is out teaching. And crowds are forming because Jesus turned out he was a pretty good teacher. And he's sitting on every topic. He's talking about prayer. He's talking about religious leaders being hypocrites. That's really fun for me to read. And then someone in the crowd yelled out, Hey, teacher, hey, 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 please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. That's the same type of situation people yell about today. I had a conversation about estate planning with somebody who was upset about how their family was planning it this week. This happens all the time. So somebody yells out, hey, what's this about? And Jesus replied, all right, I don't know you, but beware of being greedy. And he says this statement that really annoys me. It kind of frustrates me. This is what he says. He says, life is not measured by how much you own. Be cool, Jesus. That hurts. That's hard for us who are among the top five wealthiest people in the world. But Jesus being awesome like he is, I love this. I love when he tells a story and then he's like, hey, here's the exact point. Like, I love that he does this. So he follows it up with a parable. So he says this phrase in Luke, and then he goes into Luke 12, verse 16. Check this out. Then he told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. So we're going to stop right there, one sentence in. Why? Because this pretty much describes every single middle-class American, doesn't it? Like, we, we're on board with this so far. We're like, yeah, a, a person who probably works hard, gets a good crop. Like, that sounds good to us. This makes complete sense. He had a good year. I don't know, maybe he rode the market. But don't forget, this is a parable. So Jesus is kind of making up this story on the spot, and he's trying to make a point. So Jesus is trying to teach us, hey, if we're in a situation like this, what should we do? So we're in this situation, and he said to himself, this is the guy who has all the money, says to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have a room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and I'll say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. So I have to be honest with you. So far, I like the main character in this story. Like, I want to be 
like the main character in the story. Like he had a good year. He's thinking about what does it look like to invest in expanding his business. What's the point? Well, maybe, maybe Jesus is making a point about saving. Like, look, invest the surplus. Start a business with the proceeds. Is that the point? Well, what would the consumer mindset have? You know, let's get to the point so we can eat, drink, and be merry, be fat and happy. Have you ever heard a phrase like that before? I've seen it like in people's kitchens and stuff all the time. Eat, drink, and be merry. You're not going to like the next verse if you have it hanging up in your kitchen. I'm sorry. I'm warning you. That's what it says. But God said to him, you fool. You will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? I mean, Jesus is being hurtful. Like he's kind of coming after us, isn't he? Was that necessary? Like, look, what's the point? Is it that when I get a raise, I'm going to die the next day? Like, that's not the point, right? Well, no, but also, yes. So you've, you have heard the point of this story. Have you heard the phrase, like, you can't take it with you? You've heard that phrase before? See, Jesus is reminding these people in the crowd, look, it's not about being rich financially. It's about being rich spiritually. It's about our relationship with God. It's about living for him. Here's another way of of saying it. It's not what you have. It's what you do with what you have. I do not think the point of this story is that it is wrong to be rich. That's not what Jesus is saying. It's not wrong to have a good year. It's not wrong, actually, to be in the top 5% or 1% or 0.1%. That's not the point of the story. The point isn't what you have. The point isn't what you don't have. The point is no matter what you have, if you simply store it up for yourself, and you're not thinking about what do I honor God in this with what you have, then it doesn't matter in the end. That's the point of the story. It's not the pursuit of more. It's not what you have. It's what you do with what you have. So, what do you have? What do you think you have? And you're like, I can see it in your face. You're like, he's going to say money. And I am, but not yet. Because we have a whole lot, actually, more than money. So let's break it down. What do you have? Well, first you have time. I see the look in your face now, and you're going like, I don't have that either, man. Like, no way. Like, I had time for like three days in quarantine, and that was it. Like, that's gone. But you actually do have time, because I kind of thought the same thing, and I was like, let's do some pastor math. Let's break it down, okay? So here's pastor math. 168 hours a week. That's just how much we all have. Doesn't matter who you are. Doesn't matter where you are. Doesn't matter what you do. Doesn't matter what you believe. That's how, how much we've got. All right, so say you do what the doctor tells you to do and you sleep the right amount. You sleep around eight hours. So that's 56 hours of sleep a week. And you have a good job. You work 40, 45 hours. Maybe you have a little bit of overtime. That's kind of how you average it out. Maybe you work a little more. Maybe you work a little less. But you have 45 hours of work. And then you're like, I got to eat, man. Well, let's just be generous in that and give you three hours a day to eat. I mean, sometimes that maybe a really long supper or something. So you've got three hours to eat. What else? Well, how about just three hours a day to do some other stuff? You know, you're working out. You're taking a really long, hot shower. You're going to the bathroom. You're running errands. We, uh, we forgot the comma to that earlier today, and it just said bathroom errands. <laughs> that's, that's a lot of time for that, but if you need it. <laughs> but what else? What else? 
So 14 hours, you know, just two hours a day, just because you're awesome. Just whatever else you want to do. You're watching shows, you're reading a book, you're taking a walk, you're interacting, you're having conversations, you're just living your life. And you're here right now, you're, in, you're online, you're in person, you're interacting with, with church. So, okay, there's an hour for that. That's great. I'm so glad that we're able to gather together this way. How many hours you got left? Ten hours left. You can do a lot in ten hours. And maybe the amount of time is different for you. Maybe you're like, hey, I do actually spend more time in the bathroom and get that checked out. I don't know, but, but here's the point. What would it look like for you to contribute your time rather than consume your time? Remember, it's not what you have, but it's what you do with what you have. So how can you use your time to make an impact? What else do you have? So you have a little bit of time. Maybe you're like, okay, money now. Nope, not yet. Don't rush me. I'll get there. We have time, and now we have talent. See, you have things that you can do that other people can't do. I think that's one of the cool things about just being a person. I believe that there are things that God has given both of us to do and to take care of. Just like time, just like finances, you have talent, skills, abilities. See, you you have things you know how to do, things that you can offer, passions that you have to share, giftedness that God has given you. And you can combine these things, time and talent, and you can make a significant impact. So this next Sunday, September 19th, here on our campus, we're going to have a serving fair. Well, why in the world would we do this? Well, we want to have a, an environment, a fun environment, to help people recognize that you do have opportunities to use your time and to use your talent to make an impact. You'll have chance to connect to other leaders, to connect with other volunteers. You'll have an opportunity to literally sign up to be a contributor. Now, giving time and giving talent is a huge way to use what you have for good. And here's the one you've been waiting for. Here, but I had to use a T, right? Treasure. It's easier to remember. Time, talent, treasure. See, you likely have everything that you need, but you forget what you need it for. And our time, our talent, our treasure matters to us. We know kind of that it's important. We want to make an impact. And we think about ways to make our treasure grow. We think about ways to how to use it well. Maybe you have a budget, how to save it, how to retire. All of those are amazing things. But just like the farmer in the parable, we forget that the point of what we have isn't for our own benefit. And just like the farmer, how we use this treasure actually reveals who we are. This is Matthew 6, 21. This is a great verse. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. See, I have everything I need, but I forget what I need it for. To respond to what God has done in my life. To thank him for what he's doing. To make an impact. What do you desire the most in your heart? Really, take a second right now and think about, what do I desire the most? What am I using my time for? What am I pursuing? Another feeling another dollar, 
Another break? Where is your treasure? There are all sorts of good treasures. Money can be good. Family can be a treasure. Church can be a treasure. Relationships can be a treasure. But think about what matters the most to you. Where are the desires of your heart? Because I believe that the way we live out our life, our lives reveals the answer to this question. What do you want your answer to be? Just like this? My name is Barb, and I teach the little rich kids of the second service um, each Sunday. And I'm thankful that I have the opportunity to serve um, in Little Rich Kids um, and affect the lives of these children for all eternity. One thing I love about the Rich is that we have two services. So um, I get to serve one with the kids and then um, I get to be refreshed uh, in my soul on the other service. So I grew up going to this church, so I've known Miss Barb, as I still call her, uh, for my whole life. I had Miss Barb as a small group leader when I was little, and she was a huge part of explaining who Jesus was and what it meant to um, ask Jesus into my heart. So I'm pretty sure I remember making that decision in her small group. Even now, every time I see her, I get so happy to see her. She brings a smile to my face, she gives great hugs, um, and I'm just so glad she's in my life. I like how Miss Bob always teaches us. When I first come in, she always, she always, she gives me a big hug. Miss Barb used used to be my teacher in my old classroom, and she it meant so much to me. I wanted to go back and stay in Little Ridge Kids. Miss Bob used to be my teacher, but now she's. Nah, my teacher, although she's still really kind to me, and I still really enjoy Miss Barb. She gives me hugs when I come, whenever I see her still. My mom um, has been a Christian my whole life, um, and it was really great to grow up um, with a godly example. Um, My mom um, was very diligent in her quiet time and her prayer time, and um, she always cut out a time every day. It was very important. She always told us how important it was that she would have her quiet time and she would have her prayer time, and she would share with us what she prayed about. And then it was really neat days, weeks, months later to um, hear her tell us how God answered her prayers. Barb Dickin is one of the most caring, genuine, and loving person I have ever met. I can honestly say that Barb's investment in my life has made me become a better daughter, a better mom, a better friend, a better mentor, and most of all, a better follower of Jesus Christ. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. And for Barb, Her treasure is this eternal impact in people's lives. Why does she do any of that? It wasn't so that we made a video, I promise you that. It's because of Jesus. It's because of her love for Jesus. So she chose to contribute her time and her talent. She stored up these treasures because of Jesus. Your life reveals where your treasure is.
So where's the desire of your heart? I mean, for your time, for your talent, for your treasure, what do you want to get? Perhaps just like the farmer, a bigger barn, a better job, the pursuit of more. Or is it the point of the parable? See, here's the point. Jesus just straight up tells us so that we don't miss it. I love that he does that. So we don't, doesn't matter if we're dense. He just says, he says it right here. Yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. I have everything I need, but I forget what I need it for. What do we need it for? To have a rich relationship with God. Think about all the things that God has given you. All the time that you've had, that you have today. All the talent that you've been given. All the treasure that's been stored up. Your family, your house, your car, your friends, your passions, your hopes. All of this has been given generously to you. And God has given us a lot. Not because we're consumers and not because we deserve it, but because we're loved and God is just that generous. And he wants us to use what he gave us so that we can draw closer to him. To contribute, to have a rich relationship with him. The big way we can pursue a rich relationship with him is actually through generosity. We are generous because God is generous with us. That's why we do it. We don't do it to get anything out of it, although I bet if you ask Barb, she's gotten a whole lot out of it. Using our time, using our talent, using our treasure challenges us in this me-centric, the customer is always right world that we're in. We aren't the consumer. We aren't always right. What we have is not about getting compounded interest It's not about even the impact that we can have, although I think that it can be great. But we're generous because God is generous with us. And one of the ways that he's generous with us is asking us to be a part of what he's doing. Being generous places our trust in God's provision with all of those time, talent, treasure types of things. But the biggest example of God's provision is Jesus and the cross. God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to die on the cross for us, for me, for you, and for the person all the way across the world. And that's the most widely generous thing that I can think of. That level of love and sacrifice. God loved us so much, he sent Jesus to die on the cross. But sometimes we know what we have, but we forget what it's for. God makes things right with Jesus. And one of the reasons that I'm generous and that you are generous with time and talent and treasure is to thank God for his generosity with us. Being generous shows people the value of Jesus. Being generous doesn't make sense, actually, outside of a rich relationship with God. But as we're generous, as we spend time serving people, our talent, not for our own gain, but for God's, as we give generously, it makes an impact in our homes. It makes an impact in our church. It makes an impact in our community, and it makes an impact around the world.
It's powerful to be generous. So throughout this series, and starting this week, we're actually going to use the same question every week as we end our time together. Here it is. How is God prompting you to be generous? This isn't about a guilt trip. This isn't about saying, well, you've got to do it this way. You've got to feel this thing in your heart. Okay, I'm rich. I'll do it. No, that's not what we're talking about today. How is God prompting you? How is God prompting you to be generous? Have you asked him? Maybe you can sacrifice an hour of TV time to help out at Love Chapel. This community environment where we help people with real needs. Maybe you start serving in a way that makes an impact with your gifts. That you say, hey, I've kind of put in my time. I've checked in my box. Or maybe you used to do that and you're like, hey, things have been really hard for the last 18 months, two years, three years, eight years. I don't know what it is for you. But I think God is prompting you right now. Say, what does it look like for you to use your talent? Maybe it's just to give financially. Maybe it's to be intentional, to intentionally pursue generosity, to say, I've been so slow, I've been so quick to let other people do it. Well, it's fine. They don't need it. Well, it's not really about that. It's not about what God needs. He's got plenty, believe me. It's about our relationship with him. It's about that rich relationship with him. Maybe it's something simple like doing some generous things with your kids so they can learn what it's like to be generous. See, I believe he is prompting you to be generous today. And you might be somebody who already does some of these things. You already serve. You already give. You already think. You already give your time to God. And my hope is that you really are using those things to generously draw into a deeper relationship with God. But my hope is that even today, if you do those things, that this conversation that we're having right now reminds you of how loved you are, how you can live outside of what you need and contribute in a way that's powerful. It's a way to thank God for what he's done. It's a way to be a part of what he's doing in our community that they might know the same hope and joy and peace that comes from that rich relationship with God. So what's your answer? How is God prompting you to be generous? I'd like to pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for your generosity with us. Thank you for the way that you challenge us that you talk to us about what it looks like for us to no longer be the consumer, but to contribute not to what we're doing, but to what you're doing. Thank you for giving us this opportunity over and over and over again to be a part of what you're doing in our lives, to be a part of what you're doing in our families and homes, to be a part of what you're doing at the Ridge, to be a part of what you're doing in our community, to be a part of what you're doing in the world, that we get to be eyewitnesses to your love and your work, and we get to contribute to that, to make your name great. So today, prompt us. Show us what you want us to do, where you want us to go, how you want us to contribute, what it looks like for us to use our time and our talent and our treasure to surrender all of it, to give it all to you, 
to let you use it however you see fit, to be slower to the consumer, customer is always right mentality, and to be quick to the surrendered contributor mentality. And thank you for Jesus, this perfect example of love and care and generosity. Help us respond. Help us thank you with the way that we live to your generosity. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray today. Amen.